We're turning this morning to the epistle of Titus, and it's after Timothy and before the book of Hebrews. I want you to find the Paul's epistle to Titus. There's just three chapters in it. Sometimes it's not easy to pick it up. And after First and Second Timothy, and before Philemon and Hebrews, you will find this wonderful <clears throat> little epistle. And I want you to open your Bible and keep your Bible open throughout the, me- throughout the message. One would think when you're preaching for 40 years that... Uh, and you've only a few hours to find a message that you could go to many messages, and so one could. But I couldn't find an old message for this morning. And so there were late hours, and early mornings since Friday night at nine o'clock, and the Lord directed me to this portion of Scripture this morning and indelibly stamped it upon my heart and soul for the meeting. So I'm coming with something fresh to you this morning, and I trust that the Lord will minister to you. We have to wait on the Lord for the Word, and the Lord makes no mistakes about who preaches and who doesn't preach. And He has a word in season, I'm sure, for you this morning. Now, Titus, whose name means protector or protected, and you'll see this morning that if ever a man needed protection in the work of God, he needed it. He was one of the early converts of the Apostle Paul. And his pastor or elder are both in the church on the island of Crete off the Mediterranean. Both Paul and he preached there and either formed or helped to form an evangelical fellowship of God's people, but it was in a mess. And after a while, Paul left and went to Ephesus, and he instructed the young pastor and appointed him to stay there and ordain elders. And it says in chapter 1 and verse 5, if you want to look at it, and ordain elders that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. That word wanting means lacking or needful for the growth and survival of the assembly. So there was a lot of work needed to be done amongst the church at Crete. There was a myriad of different problems problems that are in all our churches 
and in this church probably too. And I want to show you what the problems were in the church and we're letting the word speak this morning. If you look at verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers, gossipers. Hope you're not a gossiper in the church this morning. Hope you don't spend time criticizing the elders and the deacons and the teachers and others. You just be very careful. In this church, there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they that came, they of the circumcision that came from the Jews. Paul says to him, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. They were fond of the lolly, like many of God's people today. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them which are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. A bit like what we're reading in Peter, wasn't it? Verse 16, they profess, profess that they know God. Boy, but in works they deny him. I, you know, I'm sick listening to people say, oh, you don't be judging such and such a person. You judge a person, and we have a right as elders and deacons, as elders and pastors, to judge people uh, in their Christian walk, because by their fruits ye shall know them. And there are those who profess to be God's people, and they're nowhere near it. And so we need to be very careful, for he says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. That's, that's, that's the key. That's that's the evidence, the works, the fruit, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good works. Reprobate. So that's the problem. The problems that he had dealing with these people. There wouldn't be many of these modern boys with their smartphones and degrees and pocket hankies queuing up to come to this church. There wouldn't be many of these boys with their golf clubs on their 40,000 a year and their big manses wanting to come to Crete. There was problems here. And unless you'd be in a place like this, called of God, as this man was, you wouldn't be anywhere near it. But that's the problem. Here's the people. Look at chapter 2. And where do you see the assortment of people that were here? Come on, now let the Lord speak to you this morning. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, tempered, sound in faith and charity. Now, the, 
When they talked about an aged man here in these days, in this culture, there were 60 years. 60 or over was someone who was old. We don't say someone 60 is old today, but that's the culture here. That the aged men be sober, grave, tempered, sound in faith and love and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young woman to be sober, to be vigilant, to be clean, to love their husbands and to love their children. There's a ministry for older women, you know, amongst younger women. You older women, you need to watch for that and pass on your experience and your help regarding their children. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So he has the old, older men and the older women. Now he comes to the young men in verse 6. Likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things show in thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine. Show an uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say to you. And then he comes to the servants. So he has the old man and the old woman. He's a young woman and the young man. And now he comes to the slaves, the servants, and he addresses them, exhort the servants to be obedient unto their masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God or Saviour in all things, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation or the Saviour hath appeared to all men, teaching them that they deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. Teaching, this is the instruction he's given to, the, to Titus, who's staying on amongst these people, he says what you need to do is teach them, counsel them, exhort them, rebuke them, instruct them, and probably try to get some of them saved for if they made false professions, they're not saved at all. Now the question is this, that God laid on my heart in the early hours, of Saturday morning. The question is this. How is he going to do this? How is this young man going to rein in this crowd 
and establish a witness and a fellowship worthy of the name of Jesus that will bring fruit to his name. What will Paul advise him to do? What, what way are they going to get through this situation? What, what is the answer to it? Well, let me tell you a couple of things what he didn't tell them, what we are doing today to try to solve situations like this in the church. I'll tell you what he didn't tell them. He didn't tell them, break them up into three or four groups. Get a meeting for the older people, the senior citizens. Have a meeting for them on the Monday night. Get the young couples together on, on the Wednesday night, and the ladies on Friday night, and the slaves when they're off work on Saturday. Get them together and have different meetings. Have a cup of tea and fellowship and sit down and listen to them and listen to their needs. And if they're not able to come to you, we can Zoom them or boom them or whatever else you want to do. And get, 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 get them into we groups and into we fellowships and, and we'll try to get, sort them out. That's going on today in many, many places. But I'm going to tell you this morning the great need of the church is not groups nor it is not splitting a church up in different groups to pray. I'm against that. I believe that the young and the old, and the men and the women, should be together in the fellowship and in the prayer meeting. This has been propelled and even justified by COVID. Now there's a new bogeyman. He's after us, the Omeron. COVID or Delta has killed their thousands and this is going to kill their ten thousands. Well, there's not one I heard the other day has died from it yet. But all oh, we'll run and we'll all get into a corner and we'll say COVID, oh COVID, oh we can't go out, oh we can go out to the shop and we get out to them, oh but we can't go into church. The first scripture that we used, along with many of them, and if you want them, we'll give them to you, in mid-20, when we decided that we were going to open this church after the first lockdown, and we're going to preach the word, the first scripture that we used was the one in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. Not less, but as we see the judgment approaching, as we see the coming of the Lord coming near, so much more we need to fellowship together in the house of God. So that's the first thing he didn't tell them to do. That's the first thing we would tell them to do. The second thing he didn't tell them to do was to take the pulpit down and put a sheet over it. Up in Lisbon, they've done that. They've taken the pulpit down and they haven't taken it down in some church to put a sheet over it. We have to make it not look like a church. Nothing that resembles a church. We have to make it people friendly. 
Take the hymn books out. Take the Bibles out. Take the pew out. Take the pews out. Get an iPad and an iPhone and a Google box or something. Get all these things together. WhatsApp and whatever they are. Twitter or whatever they are. Take your suit off. Take your tie off. Take your dress off. And just come in and be like the world. And everybody will be like the world. And we'll sing half Christian songs and half worldly songs. And we'll praise the Lord. And that will be the answer to these boys. That will not answer these boys. My friend, that will not. That will make them worse. It will make them worse. Make them far worse. Get the old boys one night and the young ones another night and we'll have a testimony night. Oh, let them give a wee word of testimony and we'll get a wee group and we'll sing and we'll clap and we'll have wee testimonies. And I can hear Paul and Paul, Paul and Titus saying, No, sir! Sure, we don't even know if some of them are saved. How could you have these crowd up testifying? There's liars and deceivers, gossipers, deniers, disobedient, reprobate. You can't have them up testifying or you can't have them up singing. What is the church going to turn into? That will not, that will not be a church. That will just be a gathering. It's time we started to face the facts. And I could go on if I had time and I haven't this morning to tell you a whole lot of other things that he didn't tell them to do to sort out this problem, this wanting, this need, this great need in this church at Crete. But I'm going to tell you what he did tell. And unless we can get back to it, we're in trouble. I'm going to tell you what he told them they need to do. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Holding fast. Now, Titus, hold fast. The faithful word. The word. As he has been taught, or he's telling these elders that he's going to ordain, tell them to hold fast. The faithful word. As you have been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort, convince, and gainsay. That word convinces the word to rebuke, admonish, or exhort. You need to get the word of God to these people and rebuke them and exhort them and convince them and try and convict them. That word convinces. Now, I want you to notice this. Five times in a few verses, he uses the word sound. Now, you get your eyes on this this morning. Five times, Paul, writing to this man in this situation, in this church, uses the word sound. In verse 9, you have sound. In verse 13, at the end of it, sound. In chapter 2 and verse 1, you have sound. In chapter 2 and verse 2, you have sound. In chapter and verse 8 of chapter 2, you have sound. Five times. Let that sink in. 
What does the word sound mean? Well, the word sound means to be healthy, to be wholesome, to be good, to be safe. It's the same word that that Jesus used when he spoke about the return of the prodigal, that he has returned safe and sound. Karen, when she was here here this morning, when she was nursing up and training up in Alton Gallery, she had an old car and didn't know whether to take her. Sometimes it didn't. And she built up the, that hump around me done given there. And when she arrived up, she used to ring home, I've arrived safe and sound. Yes, yeah, lovely words. Safe and sound. If these people are going to be blessed, if these people are going to be built up, if these people are going to be changed, if these people are going to be lived for God, if they're going to be saved, they'll need to be sound doctrine and sound preaching, preaching to them for there's nothing else. So what this church in Crete needs is good, faithful, sound, healthy preaching and teaching. That's what will save souls. That's what will build up an assembly. That's what will bring a testimony to this island and glory to God. Paul the Apostle is an old man and he's telling them this. Listen, you be faithful to the word. You stand for the word and rebuke and exhort with all gainsaying. Give them the sound, healthy doctrine of the word of God. And that will bring them into safety. Paul states, or Paul starts where all preachers need to start. Now, follow me this morning. He starts with the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ in verse 9. In verse 10 of chapter 2. Now watch this. Chapter chapter 2 and verse 10. The first doctrine he starts with is the doctrine of the incarnation. He goes away back to the incarnation to start to teach these people the sound doctrine and sound words and sound truth. Now you watch what it says here in verse 10 of chapter 2. Not purloining but showing all good fidelity that they may adore the doctrine that is that they might love, adorn or love the doctrine of God our Savior. You see? He's God and he's Savior. That's the first, that's an indication there of the incarnation. He's God, yet he's Savior. He's God, yet he's man. But then he goes on in the next verse, for the grace of God. Now this is where he's starting to feed these people, to train them and disciple these people. For the grace of God 
that bringeth salvation, or the Savior, ye can write in there. For the grace of God that bringeth the Savior hath appeared to all men. The grace of God brought the Savior from the glory to the gory place in Bethlehem. God in a manger, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. This is where he starts. He wants to get them to see the grace that God, the creator of all things, would become an infant in an old shed, born of a woman, despised of men, and crucified on Calvary's cross. This is where the sound teaching of the word is. This is what these people need to hear. The grace, the unmerited favor of God that would send his only son from heaven's glory to come to save sinful men and to be like men and take upon him the form of a servant. He's getting, this is the truth you need to get over to these people. This is the word of God backed by the Spirit that will change their lives. This is healthy doctrine. This is sound doctrine. You listen out now for them in the next week or two. Listen out for the bishops and the archbishops and the modernists and the humanists and the ecumenists. And they all get together. We don't believe, a fellow said there, not so that a woman can have a child and remain a virgin. Well, then they need, to read the, they need to read the Word of God because Isaiah, 700 years before he was born, says this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and still be a virgin. Well, Isaiah said, 700 years. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. How can we understand that? And if, if, if they want to go back 6,000 years, back to Genesis chapter 3, God's conversation with the devil was the very first message of the incarnation when he talked about the seed of the woman. The seed doesn't come from the woman. It comes from the man. The seed of the woman shall bruise your heel, but thou shalt bruise his head. Going right on to, from the incarnation to the crucifixion at Calvary. That's sound doctrine. And that's what we need to hammer out over these next days. The grace of God, the unlimited, undeserved grace and mercy of God to man and woman. That God would give his son, that the infinite would become finite that the Most High would be made nigh, that he that the heavens of heavens couldn't contain came to the matrix of the virgin's womb a span's length. Tis mystery all, my friends. Tis mystery all. That's the teaching of the incarnation. 
And it's because of the grace of God that he came. You thank God every day and every hour for the grace of God that brought the Savior from above. And not only that, right into your heart. Don't try to explain it, for you never will. Tis mystery all. Tis mystery all. The old Puritans, one of the old Puritans says, love, mercy, and grace was made visible. And then he goes on to say, God poured out a tide of love and grace upon sinful men who didn't deserve a drop. I tell you, we're, we're in the midst of deity. How can it be? But it's true. Who is he on yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, the King of glory. Matchless, marvelous grace. But then he moves on in this verse 11 from the doctrine of the incarnation to the doctrine of salvation. What's the the verse again, 11? For the grace of God that bringeth and continues to bring salvation to. And I'll bring it to this house tonight, maybe. The grace of God that bringeth salvation or bringeth the Savior. What does it say then? Hath appeared. Of course he has. The shepherds were the first to see him. We can't develop that this morning. We haven't time. Hath appeared. Hath appeared. He has come. And he's going to appear again. The second time. This is the first advent. And the second one's in the verse after this that we're going to close with. Hath appeared. What for? Hath appeared. Who to? To all men. Ho, ho, ho. None of your limited atonement here, boys. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved to all men. These men, these fathers, these young people, these mothers, these slaves, whosoever will. Hallelujah. Amen. The word that came from the angel to Mary unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The word that came to Joseph was thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. I have a Savior this morning. Oh, that's good sound healthy doctor. Huh? Do you know that the woman at the well knew more than all these boys with their degrees and doctors and 
reading about some boys, other the boys here, that many letters after his name, it was just like a kite flying, a child with a kite flying, there's no end to the stuff that was after his name. Of course, he had done well in business and he had done well in this and getting on in years now, so I'll go into the church for a wee while now. He wouldn't be coming in here, I'll tell you. And with all our brains and doctrines and doctorates and degrees, and I'm not running down education, but with it all, my friend, we're in a mess this morning. And let me tell you that the woman at the well, the harlot that had five husbands, knew more than most of them, if not all of them, that are pontificating over Christmas. Because when she realized it was the Savior and she left the water pot and she ran back to tell the men and she ran down and she said to the men, come see a man who has told me all things that ever I did. And here's what she said, is not this the Savior of the world? Hallelujah. And whoever you are this morning or wherever you are this morning, an aged man or an aged woman or a young man or a young woman, or a servant, or a slave, or a bondsman, or a free man. Listen, the whosoever will may come. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's three reasons he came, and three reasons only the Word of God came. He came into the world, first of all, to save sinners. He came in, secondly, to do the will of God. He says, I've come to do the will of God. And the third one, he comes in First John. He says, I have been manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And he has done them all. Hallelujah. He's saving sinners every day. He'd done the will of God the whole way through till he cried, finished. And it was done. Oh, what a sin. If they start jiggling about with other reasons for him coming over Christmas, you just take them to the word of God. He didn't come to heal the sick. He didn't come to support the poor. And all that's part of the Christian ethos and the Christian word, and we don't do enough of it. But he came to save sinners. If you're not saved this morning, he'll save you now if you call on him where you are. Whether you're old or young, whoever you are, he'll save you now. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth and he that cometh to the waters and he that hath no money, come and buy without money and without price. Sound, healthy stuff, this. That's what's going to build up a church. That's what has kept us open here. That's what keeps people coming for the word of God to feed their souls. I'm surprised I... Since I started those messages on Peter, I'm surprised. Another lady last night at the children's party. I'm surprised that those that said we never in our churches have heard for years anything about the Lord's return. I remember preaching that in the church years ago and this fellow was 10 years in the church and he was in office in the church. He says, I never heard that Jesus was coming back. Ten years in the evangelical church. Well, you'll hear more of it, for he's on, on his way back. 
sound, healthy doctrine. Doctrine of the incarnation, doctrine of salvation. Now what's the next one? We haven't time to do it. Then he tells them the doctrine of sanctification, verse 12. Teach them. Now, sanctification is a big word. It just means to be separated. It means to be separated from the world. Are you separated from the world this morning, Christian? Are you supping at wine and jiggling about and you're not a bit different than you and the, you, you, you and the world? Not a bit. How would you win anybody for the Lord? No, no, he says, he says, well, don't, don't you, and he tells them at the end, don't you be afraid now, Titus. Don't you let men tell you what to do. That's what he tells them at the end. But you just rebuke them. And rebuke them sharply. And give them the word. And if they don't want it, let them go. Don't let the old boys rule. And don't let the young boys rule either. You bring the word of God. Stand faithful and firm on the word of God. You see, there wasn't much change in some of these lives that were professed to be Christians here. Disobedient, gossiping, lying, lustful, defiled, greedy. Rebuke them sharply. There's no cover up here. Teach them, instruct them to live soberly. What does it say? What does it say in verse 12? Live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. That's what you teach them. Not so, not, he's not talking about being drunk. Of course, if you're tippling a drink and wine as a Christian, you shouldn't be. It's a curse. There's no cover up here. Teach them and instruct them to live soberly and genuinely and holy and clean before God and righteously in this present world. And then he tells them why. And it's this what I close with this morning. This is what these, this church needed to free them, to set them free, to see them saved, to see them cleansed. To see this whole business in their life. To get a new life. Friend, if you're at any of these things this morning and you profess to be a Christian, listen, you need to repent and get down before God and say, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me, Lord, from these things, from these lusts and these greediness and this gossip and tongue and all that I have. Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost and cleanse me, Lord, that I might be a witness for God and that others will take notice. And I've been to Jesus for the cleansing power. You, let, you examine yourself now as I close this morning. So let's recap as we come down to the end. Preach to them, he says, the sound doctrine, healthy, good doctrine of the incarnation, salvation, sanctification, set apart from all these old lustly things that's in your life. Why? Because of the expectation in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know that Paul, if you go through this wee epistle, Paul never used the word Jesus on his own. 
Now, you'd be very weary when you hear some of these boys on the television, these telly boys, millionaire boys, and jets and private you, you be very careful. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Never mention Lord. He never mentions Jesus here on his own. He talks about Jesus Christ. He takes, talks about the great God and Savior. He talks about the Lord Jesus. Every time he brings in the authority of God, not only a Savior. You see, it's not only Savior. My friend, it's one thing to be saved. I thank God for the grace of God that brought salvation to your home and to your children and to your family. But that's not what it's all about. It is about being saved, surely. But there's a going on. There's, a, there, there's, a, there's verse 12 here. There's a going on, my friend. There's denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. It's going on and going through and being filled every day. And here we have, in a couple of verses, Paul comes from the first coming to the second coming. He covers a span of 2,021 years up to now. He shall appear. He has appeared. Do you see that now? He goes from the incarnation to the rapture in a couple of verses. And that's why he wants to get this sound doctrine such as this, and there's far more. He wants to get this sound doctrine into the people. Listen, when the Lord comes back, there'll be no use in sitting in a corner with Zoom And when the Lord comes back, there's no use in you be duking and hiding and living like this. For you're going to the judgment seat. And this shows me the urgency of the apostle here. Oh, he says, Titus, Titus, you get this truth over to Start away at the incarnation. Show them the grace of God that came from glory. Take them on through to the cross. Take them on through the whole way. And if you, if you want to look at verse 14, he does that. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that's substitution, that he might redeem us, that's redemption, from all iniquity and purify, that's purification. There's another couple of messages here in this that we have in time this morning. He gets through the whole ambit of the gospel truth to these people and he tells them why. Why? Because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing or his appearing in glory. Boy, it could happen today. Of what? Of who? Of who? Of, a, of the great God and our Savior. It's not God that's coming back. It's the Savior that's coming back. But he's God the Savior. He's God the Son and Son, the Son of God. It's him that's coming back. The great God and Savior. He's going to burst the clouds some of these days now. That's what he's telling them here. And that's why he says in verse 12, you need to be living right. Don't tinker with this now. Don't tinker with this message. That's why we need to be living right. 
Because as suddenly he came the first time, he's going to come suddenly the second time. Oh, the new about him coming, anybody that knew the Old Testament scriptures of his eye on the way back in the, the, the star of Jacob, and anybody knew the Old Testament scriptures knew that the, the wise men knew and they followed the star, they knew, oh, they knew that he was coming, but he came suddenly. He took them all by surprise. And they wouldn't even believe it. It's going to be the same the second time. He's going to come. He's going to burst the clouds and he's going to take us out. This is is what he calls here the blessed hope. That's the blessed hope. How How could it be a blessed hope if we're going to go through the tribulation? Right? There'd be no way of living. I'm getting marks now, I'm told, and uh, 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 where some of them places in Europe have marks now on the hand, they have the chip in the hand. Of course, they can take the hand off, you know, and then they've no chip, but they have it on the head. You take your head off, you're dead. My friend, we are, we are on the verge of the Antichrist appearing. And don't you tell me about global warming, and don't you tell me about avian bird flu, and don't you tell me about COVID, and don't you tell me about Omeron and all these things that, are come, that have come and have come. You don't tell me that it's not a wake-up call from God. It certainly is, and God... Was angry. Old Mrs. Hall, she lived in 95. I used to visit her, a godly woman. Oh boy, she was. She used to pray here in the meetings. And I sat down beside her one day and she never opened her mouth in the nursing home. And she looked at me and she says, Mr. Johnson. She always called me Mr. Johnson. She says, Mr. Johnson, God is angry. God is angry. Boy, he doesn't leave these people in the lurch. He says, lift up your eyes and look up. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing who gave himself on the cross for us. He's coming again. And he's going to burst the clouds and he's going to take us out. And then all hell's going to break. You think it's bad now? I tell you. When the Holy Spirit goes, the enemy only can go so far. The salt of the earth and the light of the world is still here. We have the restraint. And these prayer meetings that we're having here, we're having the restraint. And all over the land, there's prayer meetings under the restraint. And I believe it's because of that and the like of that that God in his grace and mercy is holding on. And I tell you, once the church goes, the Holy Spirit goes. And you can imagine what it's like. There's evil beasts now. What will there not be then? The beast of beasts. But he's coming. Hallelujah, he's coming. And he's going to come soon. And he's going to lift us out and take us out. Glorify. We're going to glorify his name. And praise him. That we shall see him. We shall know him. We shall be with him. We shall be like him. Throughout the countless ages of eternity. Titus, preach that word to the people. And that's what we do here.
the best we can. That's what that Stephen did last Sunday, couple of Sundays. Preach the word. And you'll come for the word because you want to be fed on the word. We're tired of all this other nonsense. But the doctrine, faithful doctrine of truth, preach to men and women. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for your word. And what we can glean from it, Lord, and your grace and your mercy, Lord. Lord, help us to live clean, holy lives before thee. Help us, Lord, when we get down on our knees to look up and say, Lord, there's nothing in my hands and in my heart that I know will hinder me in my walk with God. Oh God, help us to put away and deny. There has to be a denying of these lusts and these uh, this greed and this gossip and all we're reading about in this church. Lord, help us, Father. We're not a whit better, some of us, Lord. Maybe I'm not either. And Lord, I need your help this morning. I need your help to live for God this morning. I need to keep looking up, Lord, not round us. Let us look up for the great God and Saviour's coming in glory. Let us lift up our eyes and look up, Lord, for our Redeemer draweth nigh. And bless thy people, Lord, and encourage us and strengthen us, Lord, and save today if there's those here, Lord, young or old or wherever they might be. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord will move and save them for the glory of God, we pray.